Welcome to the Vets First podcast, a research-based conversation centered around the VA healthcare system, its services, and patients. From Iowa City, Iowa, here's your hosts, Dr. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray. Welcome back to the Vets First podcast. As always, Brandon is here with me. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, we're really lucky to have Dr. Laura Peters from the Palo Alto VA. She is a licensed uh, counseling psychologist at the Blind Rehab Center there. Uh, welcome to the Vets First podcast, uh, Dr. Peters, and uh, it's really great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. You live in, in California now, but uh, where'd you come from and, and uh, where'd you grow up at? Oh, I'm originally from California. From California. <laughs> oh, nice. Not too far then. Okay. So I'm originally from California. I got my graduate degree at the University of Utah, so I lived in Utah for about five years. And then I returned back here to um, Palo Alto for my internship, and the rest is history. Awesome. So when did you get involved with the VA? Um, I came, uh, actually got involved with the VA during my graduate school. I I, uh, did practical experiences at the Salt Lake City VA, working with the outpatient uh, mental health program, and that was in the 1980s. And um, my interests really were focused on uh, what I would call gero psychology, so the psychology of aging and working with older adults who are, you know, adapting to um, both the, um, you know, emotional, physical uh, elements of aging um, and adapting to changes. And uh, then I came out to uh, VA Palo Alto in 1986 uh, for my internship. Um, and uh, again, focused on uh, gero psychology, did a postdoctoral fellowship in gero psychology. And then I actually worked at what we call the Livermore VA, uh, which was its own VA about 40 miles east of here for seven years in a, in a nursing home, amongst other things. Um, and so I think working in a nursing home, you really learn about um, how various people respond to adversity and, and how some people are able to make a life for themselves, even in a nursing home. And it may not be the worst fate, you know, ever. Um, and other people, it's a it's a real struggle. So really dealing again with adaption and loss of function. And then I was um, aware that the job came up for the blind rehab program. And I think what's interesting with blindness, it's something that most of us don't know anything about. And, and I was probably similar. I had had one a client up to then who was um, had been through the blind center was totally blind, and um, he was my, kind of my um, the person that taught me quite a bit about adapting to vision loss and what some of his challenges were in life. And then I came to this job and really had to do on the job learning of all the uh, things that go into um, working with someone, assisting someone, supporting someone to create a life for themselves after vision loss. Yeah. So when you when you deal with with veterans at the Blind Rehab Center, what is can you can you talk a little bit about, you know, one of, one of our interviews we're going to probably pair you with actually is Tim Hornick. So he uh, had a traumatic brain injury that that led to his vision loss almost instantly. Mm-hmm. And so he went from 100 percent sighted to, to to no sight, no vision almost uh, in a fraction of a second when he got shot in the head. And so, you know, mm-hmm. What is that like for a person? I'm sure it is totally dependent upon the human being, but you know that's something I've been the resiliency 
of these people, like Brandon was saying earlier, um, that we've interviewed so far yeah. is, is wild. I'm just curious to know, like, is it the stages of grief that everyone talks about, or how does that work for? Because you've been working with blinded veterans for a long time. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think as you pointed out, there's so much um, individual differences between how people become visually impaired and there's a big difference, like you were saying, between a traumatic vision loss where whether through an injury or some of our veterans have eye diseases where they may wake up blind. You know, it's a very sudden shift in their, their vision. And so that's very traumatic. Um, other people, um, most of our veterans that we work with are dealing with age-related vision loss. And many times that vision loss is progressive. So you can kind of imagine the contrast between losing sight and saying, okay, this is what I have to deal with. This is where I'm at versus somebody who's still has vision, but that tomorrow their vision could be worse. So they're kind of on a slippery slope and they're having to live with the ambiguity of learning how to cope with whatever their current vision level is or vision loss is, and then never knowing you know, what the future is gonna be bring for them and they may lose, you know, anticipate losing more vision, but they don't know when that's going to happen or if that's going to happen. So either way, it's, it, it can be very um, stressful and, and kind of an ongoing um, process, I would say. And the VA considers uh, vision loss a catastrophic disability, which just means that it affects, you know, every aspect of your life. We are actually working with people who are, um, you know, which range from you know having quite a bit of vision all the way to total vision loss. And so over these more recent years, we work with people who have what we call low vision or limited vision, or maybe they've even had a stroke and a brain injury where they have 20-20 vision in one part of their visual field and limited or no vision in another part of their visual field. So the whole concept of vision loss has become much more complicated. And I think a lot of people in the public think it's an either or thing. You either see or you don't see. Mm -hmm. And so one of the struggles that our veterans have is if they do have partial vision, how do they explain to themselves? How do they explain to the world, their families, what they can do with their vision and what they can't do? It can create a very confusing picture. And so one of the things I ask the veterans is, did you ever have any um, contact with anybody in your life who was visually impaired before you lost your vision? What was your experience? And sometimes we talk a lot about stereotypes, like maybe their only concept of someone with vision loss is Stevie Wonder or yeah. Mr. Magoo, who is like a bumbling, fumbling you know, person. Mm -hmm. And what we always talk about is there's a lot of stereotypes out there. You might get a lot of insensitive questions like, you don't look blind to me, or, well, if you're blind, how come you can do that? And, and you have to, for yourself, decide, how am I gonna respond? Am I gonna, you know, do I have a pat answer? Do I, you know, do I just blow them off? Do I answer? You know, it's really their the person's choice how they want to respond. So I think um, uh, trying to get them to have empathy for the world that the world really doesn't understand, you know, vision loss much. And so in some ways, each person with vision loss is an educator and an ambassador. Um, not that they always have to be the explainer of everything, but sometimes just by living their life, you know, people living their lives being out in the world, being in public, being in sports, doing whatever, you know, they want to do, they are educating people and changing, you know, hearts and minds about what it is to live with vision loss and that there is life after vision loss. That's really interesting. You know, I, you talked about insensitive questions, right? And that's been something I've been very cognitive of 
doing these interviews, mm -hmm. um, I've probably asked some insensitive questions because I'm ignorant towards it. Right. Right? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think that my questions, obviously, they don't come from a place of being mean, but I'm trying to, right. and I think inherently we'll ask insensitive questions. What is a good way for a, a, a person like me or Brandon that, that has vision to, to, to approach this? I think exactly what you just did. I mean, I, I think most of us, you know, working with you would know you're both coming from a good place. And so that carries a lot of weight. So even if you ask a question that might be more personal or whatever, they know you're coming from a good place. Um, whereas let's say they're on the bus and they have a large print watch and another bus rider says, well, you don't look blind. Why are you looking at that watch? You know what I'm saying? So that person, they don't even know them. They're just kind of butting in. Um, but I think just being open about it. And the main thing that we, um, I think the main theme of rehabilitation is self-advocacy, encouraging you know veterans to um, speak up about their needs, what they want, if they have a reaction to something, and also we when we work with you know families and other people like yourselves is just opening that dialogue and saying, hey, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. If you don't want to answer, that's fine. If you if you you know have a concern about a question, please let me know. Just uh, give me feedback. And you just open that dialogue up and and um, just like we would say to um, a veteran, um, you want to let others know how they can either help you or not help you. And we always tell families and other uh, sighted people, don't just go up and start helping somebody or doing something to somebody. Always let them know, you know, you know, I notice you're you're um, having some trouble with that. Do you need any help? Or I'm just standing over here. If you need anything, let me know but never jump in and kind of start doing for somebody without their permission or, you know, acknowledgement. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Definitely. So how, I don't know, I know if that were me, I'd, I'd probably have trouble sharing that I'm unable to do something I was able to do before. Do you find, do you find that, I think the answer is obviously yes, that it's hard, it's a big hurdle to overcome. Um, but do you think, what are some methods or strategies that you use in order to kind of like lead the way to get to that point. I'm imagining just speaking that, let's say I had lost my sight, I'm frustrated. Um, um, how do you kind of like steer the ship, if you will, getting to there? Excellent question. Um, what I was gonna say is I think the beauty of, for me of working in a residential program is that uh, all the veterans who are coming here, there's a group of veterans, they're all visually impaired to some degree, even though they have individual types of vision loss. And they're mm -hmm. all veterans or someone who has participated in military service. So they have common bonds with each other. One of the best things we do is we have our weekly um, support group. Mm -hmm. We talk about different topics related to insensitive questions, anger, self-advocacy, patience. You know, one of the hardest things with vision loss is everything takes more time everything is harder. So trying to be patient with yourself and others. Um, we talk about things like don't assume everybody understands where you're coming from or knows what you need from no one's a mind reader. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes just the veterans themselves having those discussions and sharing, because everyone who comes here is at a different point um, uh, 
like you were saying, of, of their kind of adjustment or acceptance of where they're at in their life. And some are farther along, some are new to the situation, and they really um, talk to each other. And I think hearing it from another veteran, they understand, um, you know, uh, we'll definitely have veterans say things like, you know, I never wanted to ask for help, but I realized that was one of the most important things I could do in this situation is know when I needed to ask for help and not just you know keep hitting my head against a wall or and that really carries a lot of weight for another veteran who's also you know starting to um, learn how to cope with their vision loss and one of the things i would say is just like i didn't know that much about vision loss before i came to work here um, people who with vision loss don't always know what they don't know what they don't know yeah. they don't know what to expect and so coming here and interacting with other veterans who are farther along or at different points, they learn from each other. And of course the blind rehab staff, we know there's life after sight loss, mm -hmm. but someone who's new to sight loss may feel there's no hope, there's no future. All my dreams and hopes are gone. And so one of our main goals, so a lot of our goals, you know, we wanna teach skills and we wanna teach uh, uh, methods that will help a person feel more competent and able to manage their life. But one of our main goals is to instill hope mm -hmm. to, to through the vet other veterans and through our own comments to, to people, you know, um, it's kind of rough when you first get here, things will get better. You know, once you learn more about what's possible for you, that may really open some, you know, your mind up to what your future might be just kind of gently instilling these ideas and um, because we want them to know that there, there, there is hope for them and there's ways they can have a quality life, which they may not know about yet. Sure. And we don't want them to give up. You know, I think you touch on something that's really interesting um, is that you have the physical loss of vision, right? Um, but there's also a loss of the mental aspects of that vision, right? Um, uh -huh. That sensory input's gone, and with that sensory input can come a lot of different things, feelings, emotions, da 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 da. And so, how important is the mental aspect to to really like build up the mental? You you talked about hope a little bit. Can you expand on that a little bit? Is it is, is the mental aspect of acceptance just as important as the physical ability to navigate rooms, etc.? Good question. I think they're both you know in, inextricably linked together because. What we find is when a veteran comes into this residential setting and they start to, um, so they meet, you know, with a variety of blind rehabilitation staff who expose them, um, you know, kind of assess where are you having problems? What's, what's blocking you from being able to do different things? And then they'll respond with, oh, um, here are some ideas, you know, not only skills, but uh, different prosthetic devices uh, that may help you um, achieve your goal or be able to do the things you want to do. And this is in many different areas of life. You know, mobility is, is being able to walk from point A to point B. Um, visual skills might be using your remaining vision or um, using tools that provide uh, access through text-to-speech um, types of items. We may have, we have a whole technology uh, type of training that we can offer people. Um, we have hand skills so that um, because of the lack of, of use, you know, as much usable vision, people learn how to tune in more to their hands and their hand strength and problem solving and, and uh, 
doing things tactually where maybe um, they have some vision, but maybe they don't, maybe it's a strain to use their vision and they can actually realize it's easier just to do it, you know, with my sense of touch than having to pull out my magnifier or whatever. And um, uh, finally, we have activities of daily living, which would be, you know, how do you manage a bank account? How do you communicate? How do you uh, use your um, iPhone for different, maybe for either uh, detecting color, if you can't see color? Um, how do you uh, uh, organize yourself with your clothes, your papers, your, you know, all these things we take for granted with vision um, and record things if you can't, you know, see writing and um, all of those things are, are covered. And I think just after about two weeks in the program, those hands-on concrete things are what's linked to hope. Because someone, instead of someone saying, I can't, they're starting to say to themselves, well, maybe I can. And then mm -hmm. by the end of their program, they may actually say, well, now I know I can, uh, you know, walk from my house to the store and be safe and confident doing it, not afraid I'm going to fall on my face and look like an idiot, that kind of thing. Well, something you're highlighting too, and I'm learning more as we kind of move through these interviews is how important connectivity and community uh, amongst the blind veteran uh, population is. And I'm pretty much, I think in veterans as a whole, um, uh, knowing that these resources are available and knowing that you're not alone and the experiences that you're having, that seems to be like a, a big predominant thing. And uh, I, we know through talking with uh, like this coordinator that that's where veterans can reach out to. Are there Dr. Laura's uh, uh, elsewhere other than uh, <laughs> uh, Palo Alto? Well, I'm your one and only, but no, there, there definitely are more <laughs> than me. Um, so as you probably all know, we have 13 blind rehabilitation centers, mm -hmm. residential centers, and uh, uh, every center has psychological services because mm -hmm. of the importance of the psychological adjustment um, because as you can imagine, if someone is still extremely angry about their vision loss, or maybe they're hoping, I mean, we've definitely had veterans who've said, um, uh, my vision's going to, there's going to be a miracle, you know, God's going to give me a miracle, and I'm going to get my vision back. Mm -hmm. um, and what we never, um, uh, or, or someone will say, you know, they're going to put a computer chip in my eye, and I'm going to get my vision back through science, and, and maybe someday that will happen. But we don't dissuade people. We don't fight them on that. We just say, you know, that may happen, but where you're at right now, some of the things we're talking to you about may be helpful. Would you be willing to consider learning these things now? And if in the future you don't need them, you know, you haven't lost anything, but the, these, these strategies might help you at least get through the, the present. But I think um, sometimes um, those are those kinds of attitudes, unfortunately, you know, will prevent someone from being more open and accepting. But where we try to leave people, we try to leave people positive and happy and in the sense of um, we're not going to get into an adversarial thing. Like, we know what's best for you. You better do what we say. That does not work well with veterans or with anybody. And I think what we want to say is we want to expose you to all we have to offer. We're encouraging people to try what we have. If they decide they're going to hang their white cane up in the closet when they go home and not use it, that's their choice. That's their, you know, they're free to choose what they want to do. And we always want to welcome them to consider, you know, more blind rehab in the future. If um, maybe they don't want to use a white cane right now, but maybe 
two years from now, their vision changes and they're like, hey, you know, that might be really helpful. The door is always open. And I think you really hit the uh, nail on the head um, about um, community. I, I feel like um, vision loss is a low incidence disability. It's not always easy for someone to find others in the community. And so having people like the VIS coordinators and the um, uh, other sort of blind rehab outpatient specialists and, and programs like that to um, help bring people together. Those are veterans. Of course, there's national organizations that are not, you know, both like the BVA, but also non-military um, uh, veteran related organizations for people with vision loss that are out there. And some of our veterans have, you know, uh, gone to community programs where they've had a support group or services, especially in some of the more, um, you know, rural areas um, that are out there. But I also want to do a shout out for, you know, all psychologists and, and social workers and mental health providers across the VA, because um, there isn't always a specialist uh, that knows about, you know, um, vision loss, uh, mental health and vision loss. But I think as you both um, could understand, you know, just dealing with any kind of disability and changes with your health. Um, there's some similar themes and I think there's many good people out there. So I often will refer someone back to mental health because we get people from a large um, national catchment area. They could be from Hawaii, they could be from Tennessee. Um, uh, I can't do, you know, I can only see them while they're here in the program for, you know, six weeks or something. And if they do have additional needs that would be helpful for them, I always try to make that warm handoff to wherever they came from. Uh, what are the services there? How can we link them back so they can continue their adjusted, adjusting to their uh, new uh, situation? Yeah. Do you ever get pushback from veterans because you can see? And they, you know, some of them can't, obviously. So do you ever, is there ever, and what is it like to be, have full vision and, and, and yeah. offer rehabilitation to those that don't? Definitely, um, you know, some veterans uh, feel, um, and, and it, you know, if, if, a, if a, one of our staff members who has, who in addition has a vision loss themselves, that's an immediate credibility, you know, bridge to, because that person has that lived experience. And, and I feel like um, as a psychologist, I can never know for sure what it's like to be another person. And so I just am very honest about it. Like I, I can't know exactly what it's like to have vision loss or, or to be you. I've, I've had a lot of experience with people who are coping with vision loss and, you know, I'm willing to get into the, into it with you to have a discussion about it. And, and if there's any ways I can be helpful. So what's interesting with being a psychologist in a, in a more medically focused program is nobody comes here to see a psychologist, right? Yeah. They're here for their vision loss. And so sometimes they're kind of surprised, like, oh, I have to see a, a, a shrink or I have to see, you know, a head doctor. Like, why am I seeing you? It's my eyes, not my head. And so I'm pretty used to over the years, you know, explaining, and that's my initial thing is, you know, I am part of embedded into the team here. We have recreation therapy, we have social work, we have nursing, we have blind rehab. We're all here as a team because it's when you can look at someone from a 360 perspective from all different aspects, we want to treat you as a whole person. And we want to look at everything about you that can either contribute to your you know, success getting through the 
this program or what are some of the barriers that might you know get in your way so for example um, many veterans who have um, experienced post-traumatic stress disorder um, perhaps uh, could be from military could be from other situations going through a disability aging and vision loss can really exacerbate their um, PTSD symptoms because, um, for example, all the ways that the person may have learned to cope with PTSD, they're not able to do anymore. Maybe they can't jump in their car and drive to the beach. They can't read something that they want to read. They can't easily go visit friends. They may not be able to use their phone. So there's all these factors that make them, um, all the coping skills they used to have, maybe they can't do those anymore. And then secondly, just the fear factor, when you're somebody who's hypervigilant, when you're used to being able to scan your environment and because of vision loss, you're not able to do that anymore. And I would say 90% of our veterans because of the age group that they're in are also hearing impaired. Mm -hmm. So they're often dealing with a dual sensory impairment, which makes it more difficult to know what's going out there. And that fear factor rises because they can't use their vision to figure out what's going on. And so just explaining that to them and normalizing that and saying, you know, maybe there's other ways, things you can tune into or, um, you know, ground yourself when you're feeling more stressed and, and talking more about, you know, here and now coping skills. So that's just an example where um, just their history, um, if they've had a history of anxiety, a history of depression, it may be that the vision loss um, worsens those symptoms. And um, that's why psychology is here, not only to support you as you go through the program, but also to help you navigate the program. Coming into an institutional setting can be very challenging for people who are free, you know, like people yeah. who are used to getting up when they want, eating when they want, the food they want, you know, making their own decisions. And all of a sudden you're being told, you know, and we try to um, that's one of the things that um, Tim Hornick does as the admissions coordinator is does a lot of education before someone even comes in here, what to expect, because we know with people who have, you know, any kind of mental health disorder or just vision loss, any of us, if we know what to expect and we have more, you know, information up front, then when we come in, it's not so strange and it's, we, we, we kind of know what's going to happen. And then hopefully less fear, less anxiety, and then, um, as, as you know, when you're afraid and anxious, it's hard to learn. Yeah. So we're really trying to set up optimal conditions for them to benefit from all the training in the program. Yeah, this whole this whole person approach, is, I think, is really taking off across multiple disciplines. Pain, for example, uh, very important. You know, it's not just the pain. It's also the person and the, the mental health behind the person and et cetera and so on. And so it's really interesting that these teams have been created and I think the VA has actually done a very good job of that, especially with, with blind rehab, um, is that they have these full whole team approaches that um, have been very successful uh, for, for a lot of people. Loretta, who we talked to a veteran yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she was like, the first thing I'll say is go to blind rehab for the VA. Go to blind rehab for the VA. She was just like, it changed my life. I can do anything I want now. And uh, it's pretty cool. So, you know, and she, you know, one thing that has been a common pattern with all these veterans, Brandon, and you can speak to this too, is that mm -hmm. they, they go through this whole like, you know, up down sort of wave like pattern of, of uh, progression or a journey where they're like, oh, I gave up, but then one day I decided to not to and, you know, rehab, learning that they could do certain things really right. changed their output. And um, 
you know, that was pretty neat to see and to hear from mm -hmm. at least three different veterans now mm -hmm. uh, that we've interviewed that have had vision loss. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, do you participate in any research studies? Um, I, I actually don't. Um, I mean, if we have anything going on here at the, at the Blind Center, um, we did have a research uh, psychologist for many, many years, Dr. Greg uh, Goodrich. And he did a lot of, he was more of a perceptual psychologist, like more cognitive perceptual. So he did a lot of research with uh, low vision and different, um, and he's one of the one people that uh, spearheaded the um, understanding that um, veterans who were in exposed to IED blasts, that it affected vision, that it affected the way the eyes, you know, when the visual system is sh shaken up, that mm -hmm. the eyes don't work well together and that might have been an explanation for some of the headaches and some of the um, inability, you know, uh, deficits that veterans experience post um, blast. And um, because when, um, so he, um, you know, many times a veteran might have perfect vision, but their vision isn't working well for them. Mm -hmm. And so he was one of the forerunners with that. And unfortunately he retired. And so, um, uh, we we haven't had uh, uh, research since then uh, in the last few years, but um, I'm sure they will try to do it in the future. I guess for me, um, I really value research. I just find that um, it's it's challenging to have the time. Um, I guess my my first love and my my heart always goes out first to the veterans. So if there's yeah. any patient need, that's my first calling. And sure. with research, you do have to, you know, as I'm speaking to the choir here, you have to have time and, you know, on some good chunks of time to really focus. And and um, and so I've chosen to pretty much more dedicate my life to the clinical side versus the yeah. research side, even though I realize both are possible, but I haven't figured that out yet. So. Yeah, if you don't work a lot. I mean, just make up, <laughs> just make up, just make a podcast and then you can communicate between the two of them. Uh, there you go. Or don't have any weekends. You know, I was just going to touch on what you said first uh, about the VA blind rehab. First yeah. of all, I was just going to say, I feel I think the reason I've I've remained in blind rehab for 27 years is because I just am so in awe of, like you were saying, what the VA has to offer with blind rehab. Just just the ability to fund a whole team, including a psychologist, a recreation therapist, a social worker, a nursing staff, a doctor, a medical doctor, um, and all the blind rehab staff to provide this care and then all the outpatient services as well. I mean, you will not find that, you know, in any state or anywhere else in the country. So I feel very proud of the services that we provide. And then the other point that you made, um, I have been the, um, blessed and lucky witness to see so many veterans say exactly what you've said after six weeks of blind rehabilitation saying, I feel like I found myself again. I'm, I'm back to the person I was. I'm a new person. There is life after Silas. Just all those statements that just giving people those tools, how much it's positively you know, impacted in life, their lives and allowed them to get back into their communities and society. And I do think those community uh, connections are so important. And I'm glad you're with your podcast trying to make those connections for, you know, help people make those connections because it's not always easy to find your community, you know, and you can feel very isolated and alone. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. We've received some decent feedback from the podcast and people finding other stories helpful. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy if it helps anybody. Yeah. One person is enough for me. Well, I'm learning that. Um, and we get cool, get to talk to cool people like you. So that's, that's true. That's fine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning the the path forward is never straight, but uh, there is a path forward, and I, it's definitely making me think about like life's difficulties and uh, giving perspective, uh, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for uh-huh. sure. Well, um, I think we're gonna wrap up here in a minute. Um, we tend to okay for forty five minutes, and we're hitting that real close. There's a few questions I ask everybody towards the end. Um, they're more fun, I think. So, uh, Dr. Laura, what do you like to do for fun? So, um, living in California, um, I love being outdoors. So, because a lot of my life is spent, you know, meeting with people indoors, I always try to take a walk outside as much as I can. I like to go on hikes. I like to, I find nature um, very uh, renewing for me and mm-hmm. kind of um, a good counter part. Um, and on, on the other side, I love to, to bake and cook. So I, I've been known to bring baked goods into the office. And um, I love uh, uh, just showing my love for others and care for others by um, making something for them. And cool. Oh, man, I bet I bet the coworkers notice when you take a vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does it's one better for me to give it to others than, you know, eat it all myself. So, yeah. <laughs> so as an Iowan, I'm going to California this summer for vacation. Yeah. Where does a person from California go on vacation? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I, I would just say in the last couple of years, obviously with the pandemic, I've probably spent more time, you know, in the local area. But yeah. I would say Yosemite is just a awe-inspiring place to go to. I don't know if you've ever been there before. No, I've been there once, and it's pretty amazing. We're going to – my daughter is turning she's, – she's it's her fourth grade summer or fourth Aww. to fifth, and she gets into all the national parks for free. So we're like, let's do a national park tour. And, you know, I'm lucky awesome. enough to have some funds to do of that. course sequoia you know just seeing the huge yeah. i mean the huge redwood trees are very you know it, to think how old they are and just the the size of them compared to us is so awe-inspiring and we've had a lot of fires unfortunately a lot of the trees some trees have died but a lot of trees you know they're they're built to survive fire and that's yeah. very inspiring as well yeah, it's pretty neat the, they, use the some of their, they use a component from their bark or part of their bark in the early uh, uh space shuttle programs because they're fire retardant, which is really wild. Yeah. Today I learned pretty cool stuff. Well, hey. Now, um, on the adult side, wine tasting is always oh, nice. We're going to Napa <laughs> Valley for two days. <laughs> not sure it's in my budget, but we're going to try it. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Laura, I'm really pumped you came on today. You've been a great interview, and um, it's awesome to have, to see someone who's invested in what they do uh, at the VA come on and, and, and talk to us about it. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Thanks for the help. You, you are so welcome. And I would just say if any of your listeners or if you ever have any follow-up questions, I'm more than happy to try to answer or connect people with whoever might be able to answer any concerns or questions about sight loss or rehab or anything. For sure. Fantastic. Well, you enjoy your visit. And um, thank you so much. I, I just appreciate you both, you know, asking me to be here. And it's been a real 
honor and a very interesting experience. So thank you cool. so much. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah, so thank Appreciate you, Dr. Loretta. This concludes today's Vets First podcast. For questions or comments relating to the program, please direct email correspondence to vetsfirstpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.